Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I'm thrilled to be with you. It is raining. They say cats and dogs in Texas. It is The sky has been opening up and pouring down rain for two days. Um, but I know that there's many areas in the country that would love this situation that truly need rain. So we are praying for those in Kansas and other areas, especially those with land and farms, Uh, that need the rain. It is Ember Wednesday, and I know many Catholics these days are not aware of the Ember Days. They're very, very important. They occur, I needed to learn them years after I became Catholic, because the uh, church after Vatican II, uh, most people never heard of Ember Days, and they occur four times a year. They're seasonal, and they give us opportunity, just as God did the Jewish people, that's where it comes from, to do penance and thank him for all that he's given us. And so Dob Garanger writes, for the third time this year, because this is winter now, for the third time this year, Holy Church comes claiming from her children the tribute of penance, which from the earliest ages of Christianity was looked upon as a solemn consecration of the seasons. Second class, beloved. The historical details relative to the institution of the Ember Days will be found on the Wednesdays of the third week of Advent, which is today, and of the first week of Lent, And on those same two days, we have spoken of the intentions which Christians should have in the fulfillment of the demand made upon their yearly service. The beginnings of winter, spring, and autumn quarters were sanctified by abstinence and fasting, and each of them in turn has witnessed heaven's blessing falling upon their respective three months, and now autumn is harvesting the fruits, which divine mercy, appeased by the satisfactions made by sinful man, has vouchsafed to bring forth from the bosom of the earth, notwithstanding the curse that still hangs over her. The precious seed of wheat on which man's life mainly depends was confided to the soil in the season of the yearly frosts and with the first fine days peeped above the ground at the approach of glorious Easter. It carpeted our fields with its velvet of green, making them ready to share in the universal joy of Jesus' resurrection and then turning into a lovely image of what our souls ought to have been in the season of Pentecost, its stem grew up under the action of the hot sun. The golden ear promised a hundredfold to its master. The harvest made the reapers glad, and now that September has come, it calls on man to fix his heart on that good God who gave him all this store. Let him not think of saying, as that rich man of the gospel did, after a plentiful harvest of fruits, my soul, 
Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy rest, eat, drink, make good cheer. And God said to that man, Thou fool, this night do they require thy soul of thee, and whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Surely there is too much of the Christian among us to allow us to be senseless in that way. If we would be truly rich with God, if we would draw down his blessing upon the preservation as well as on the production of the fruits of the earth, let us at the beginning of this last quarter of the year have recourse to those penitential exercises whose beneficial effects we have always experienced in the past. The church gives us the commandment in uh, the commandment to do so by obliging us under the penalty of grievous sin to abstain and fast on these three ember days unless we be lawfully dispensed. That is today, beloved, Friday and Saturday. We've already spoken on the necessity of private penance of the Christian who is at all desirous to make progress in the path of salvation. But in this, as in all spiritual exercises, a private work of devotion has neither the merit nor the efficacy of one that is done in company with the church and in communion with her public act. For the church, as the bride of Christ, has an exceptional worth and power in all she does. And these qualities are communicated by her to works of penance done in her name, in the unity of the social body. St. Leo the Great is very strong on this fundamental principle of Christian virtue, and we find him insisting on it in the sermons he preached to the faithful of Rome on occasion of this fast of what was called the Feast of the Seventh Month. Although he says, although he says, it, to, it be lawful for each one of us to chastise his body by self-imposed punishments and restrain with more or less severity the concupiscences of the flesh which war against the spirit Yet need is that on certain days there be celebrated a general fast by all. Devotion is all the more efficacious and holy when in works of piety the whole church is engaged in them with one spirit and one soul. Everything, in fact, that is of public character is to be preferred to what is private. And it is plain that so much the greater is the interest at stake when the earnestness of all is engaged upon it. As for individual efforts, let each one keep up his fervor in them. Let each one, imploring the aid of divine protection, take to his own self the heavenly armor, wherewith to resist the snares laid by the spirits of wickedness. But the soldier of the church, the soldier that has the spirit of the church, the soldier of Christ, though he may act bravely in his own private combats, yet will he fight more safely and more successively when he shall confront the enemy in a public engagement. For in that public engagement, 
He has not only his own valor to trust to, but under the leadership of a king who can never be conquered, he is in the battle fought by all, all his fellow soldiers, and by being in their company and ranks, he has a fellowship of mutual aid. Another year, when preaching for the same occasion, this eloquent pontiff, that's Leo XIII, and doctor of the church, was even more energetic and lengthy in putting these great truths before the people. Would to God the words of such a pope as Leo the Great could make themselves heard by our present generation and induce us Christians to mistrust the individualistic tendencies of what is called the piety suited to the age we live in and Dom Geringer's writing in the 1800s and early 1900s. Fortunately, he says, the words of the saint Leo XIII exist and in all their pontifical eloquence we invite our readers to peruse his sermons All we have space for is a short selection from this third sermon on the fast of the seventh month in our September Ember Days. When we come back from the break, beloved, we'll go on to December. Leo XIII wrote this, God has sanctioned this privilege, that what is celebrated in virtue of a public law is more sacred than that which depends on a private regulation. The exercise of a self-restraint which an individual Christian practices by his own will is for the advantage of that single member, but a fast undertaking by the church at large includes everyone in the general purification. God's people never is so powerful as when the hearts of all the faithful join together in the unity of holy obedience and when in the Christian camp There is one in the same preparation made by all and one in the same bulwark covering us all. See most dearly, beloved, here is the solemn fast, fast of the seventh month. We're now in the twelfth month, beloved, but this is the fast of the seventh month, urging us to profit by the potency of the unity of which we were speaking and which is invincible. Let us raise up our hearts, withdraw from worldly occupations, and steal some time for furthering our eternal goods. The most plenary remission of sin is obtained when there is the whole church in the like prayer and the like confession. For if the Lord promises that when two or three shall with a holy and pious unanimity agree to ask him anything whatsoever, it shall be granted to them What is there that can be refused to a people of many thousands who are all alike engaged in observing one and the same practice of religion and are with one common accord praying with one and the same spirit? In the eyes of God, my dearly beloved, it is a great and precious sight when all Christ's people are earnest in the same offices and that with any distinction Men and women of every grade and order are all working together with one heart. We are the people of God, dear ones, and what we do publicly as a people, just like with Israel, is much much more efficacious and pleasing to God than our private devotion. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We'll be back after the break, and after the second break, we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails. 
to call in toll-free with anything on your heart. The number is one 511 5483 or email at mother at Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. If Jesus brought two of the greatest Old Testament saints to meet with three of the greatest New Testament saints at the Mount of Transfiguration, can you say with any assurance that they were not alive, aware, and able to communicate? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Luke 9 says, quote, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Did you catch that? They were talking with Jesus. That means they have cognitive capability. Secondly, heavenly friends. Those in heaven long for your prayer requests. Their intercession far exceeds your best friend's prayers here on earth. Sorry to say that. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. Well, Oral Roberts University has the prayer tower. TBN has a prayer department. Your home church probably has a prayer hotline. Well, guess what? Heaven has on-demand, pure, unselfish prayer warriors known as the great cloud of witnesses. They're waiting on you. Love listening to the Station of the Cross on your car radio, but sometimes find yourself driving outside the listening area? Never miss another minute of your favorite show. Download the iCatholic Radio app so you can listen anywhere in the world 24 hours a day. The iCatholic Radio app is available for your phone in the Apple Store or for your Android phone in Google Play. Visit thestationofthecross.com for more information. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is Ember Days. This is Ember Wednesday of the fourth season of uh, of the Ember Days throughout the year. Um, it begins uh, today on Wednesday, four times a year, and continues Friday and Saturday. Comes straight from the Old Testament, where God has given His people times of fast to do penance and give thanksgiving for all the fruits of the earth and all he's given them. The church begins the fast of what's called in Latin quatuor tempora, um, or ember days. It includes also the Friday and Saturday of this same week. They're days of fasting, beloved, which the church hardly knows since Vatican II. Um, It's not included in the new calendar, and it's a great, great, loss to the church. This observance, writes Don Garanger, is not peculiar to the Advent liturgy. It is one which has been fixed for each of the four seasons of the ecclesiastical year. We may consider it as one of these practices which the church took from the synagogue. I've said before, dear ones, there's nothing that's Catholic that does not have its roots in the Old Covenant. 
The prophet Zechariah speaks of the fasts of the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th months. Its introduction into the Christian church would seem to have been made in the apostolic times. Such, at least, is the opinion of St. Leo, of St. Isidore of Seville, of Rabanus Morris, and of several other ancient Christian writers. It is remarkable, on the other hand, that the Orientals do not observe this fast. From the first ages, uh, the Ember Days, Quatuor Tempora were kept. Forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Q-U-A-T-U-O-R-T-E-M-P-O-R-A. From the first ages, the Quatuor Temporor were kept in the Roman Church at the same time of the year as at present. As to the expression, which is not infrequently used in the early writers, of the three times and not the four, we must remember that in the spring, these days always come in the first week of Lent, a period already consecrated to the most rigorous fasting and abstinence, and that consequently they could add nothing to the penitential exercises of that portion of the year. The intentions which the Church has in the fast of Ember Days are the same as those of the synagogue, namely to consecrate to God by penance the four seasons of the year. The Ember Days of Advent are known in ecclesiastical antiquity as the fast of the tenth month. Now we know the tenth month is October in the Jewish uh, uh, well, let me, let me continue the article. And St. Leo, in one of his sermons on this fast, of which the church has inserted a passage in the second nocturne of the third Sunday of Advent, tells us that a special fast was fixed for this time of the year because the fruits of the earth had then all been gathered in and that it be, behooved Christians to testify their gratitude to God by a sacrifice of abstinence, thus rendering themselves more worthy to approach God, the more they were detached from the love of created things. For fasting, adds the holy doctor, Leo the Great, for fasting has ever been the nourishment of virtue. Abstinence is the source of chaste thoughts, of wise resolutions, and of salutary counsel. By voluntary mortification, the flesh dies to its concupiscence, and the spirit is renewed in virtue. But since fasting alone is not sufficient, whereby to secure the soul's salvation, let us add to it works of mercy towards the poor. Let us make that while we retrench from indulgence, serve unto the exercise of virtue. Let the abstinence of him that fasts become the meal of the poor man. Oh, dear ones, whether you've ever heard of Amber Days or not, look them up and teach your children. And on this day, skip a meal and gather the food for that meal and give it to the poor. What a beautiful way to teach your children to um, give gratitude and thanks to God for all the abundance he has given us and to give to those who have not. Let us, Dom Geringer continues, the children of the church practice what is in our power of these admonitions. And since the actual discipline of Advent is so very mild, although we call it a mini Lent, but it is mini, 
let us be so much the more fervent in fulfilling the precept of the fast of the ember days. By these few exercises, which are now required of us, let us keep up within ourselves the zeal of our forefathers for this holy season of Advent. Well, the church doesn't require it anymore, beloved, but it's, it's a loss that's grievous. We should not lose it. We must never forget that although the interior uh, preparation is what is absolutely essential for our profiting by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet this preparation would scarcely be real unless it manifested itself by the exterior practices of religion and penance. The fast of the ember days has another object besides that of consecrating the four seasons of the year to God by an act of penance. It has also in view the ordination of the ministers of the church, which takes place on the Saturday of Ember Week, and of which notice was formally given to the people during the Mass of the Wednesday. In the Roman Church, the ordination held the month of December. The ordination held in the month of December was, for a long time, the most solemn of all, and it would appear from the ancient chronicles of the popes that excepting very extraordinary cases, the tenth month was, for several ages, the only time for conferring holy orders in Rome. The faithful should unite with the church in this her intention and offer to God their fasting and abstinence for the purpose of obtaining worthy ministers of the word and of the sacraments and true pastors of the people. Beloved, if you really want to grow in your faith, if you want to enrich your lives, look up the, the treasures of the church. If, if you're online, I don't know how much longer we'll have electricity and be able to use our computers, but while we can, print them out if you can, get books, you, if, you can, if you can save up and get the 15 volume uh, of the liturgical year, 15 volumes by Dom Garanger of the entire liturgical year, you'll have it all. You'll have it all. There are many wonderful um, websites as well. Fish Eaters is one. Fish Eaters, one word, dot com is one. Many other traditional, beautiful websites. Dom Garanger's entire and liturgical year is online. You can download it. Um, you can print it out. Um, you can buy so many volumes at a time until you have the whole set. Um, uh, another one that's um, less, uh, that's simpler than the 15 volume is uh, Pius Parch, P-A-R-S-C-H. I think Dr. Pius Parch. And... Um, I think it's called the liturgical year, but it may not be. I'm, I'm so sorry. It's a five, I believe, volume set. I think it's out of print, but it's worth going to out of print Catholic sources, uh, Abe Books. Uh, um, oh, I just can't think of them offhand. And you can get a five volume set. It's simpler. But it goes, oh, I think it's called A Year of Grace, A Year of Grace, five volumes by Dr. Um, Pius Parsh, I think, P-A-R-S-C-H. It's very, very good. And simpler, um, 
than uh, Dom Geringer's liturgical year, uh, but they both follow the same calendar and both agree in every single way. I would say, beloved, while we can, while it is yet day, um, while we yet have faith, while we're not yet in the catacombs, get those sets for your family and make sure you have good scripture, good Catholic Holy Bible, uh, and I recommend the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. Uh, if you get just Revised Standard Version, you will have a Protestant Edition, and you will be out seven plus books. So Revised Standard Version Holy Bible, published by Ignatius Press, is what we use and, and recommend. Um, you'll have a good Bible. Um, don't get paraphrases. The New International Bible is very, very popular these days, but it's not a translation of Scripture. It's a paraphrase which one man wrote for his children and his own family, and it became very popular. I think there's a Catholic edition out now. Um, get the, the true translated Word of God, and get uh, Dr. Pius Parsha's uh, Year of Grace or uh, Dom Garanger's 15 volumes, the liturgical year. Look online for good, good uh, resources and study your faith at home. Get good, get Butler's Lives of Saints or uh, the Saints, all the volumes, or get other good books on the saints uh, and read them to your children. There's an entire a series of saints. I think the last the author is Wyandotte, I'm not sure, but excellent books on the saints, uh, 10 or 20 or more of them, and they're written for children, but get them for the whole family. They're very good, and, and they're, they'll be good for the young ones as well. You could read them to the whole family. Um, get your good resources now, beloved. Um, make sure you build up a good library, not of a thousand books, but 20 books that you know are absolutely solid in the faith that will steer you and your family uh, to heaven. That's what you need, dear ones. Um, if you want good books for your children, I'm going to recommend to you Augustine Press. August, the Augustine Press, they're outstanding. Uh, they keep republishing old, fantastic books. The Augustine Press. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the name. I'd have to look them up. Um, look at Refuge for Sinners Publishing, um, Mother of Our Savior books, uh, just really beautiful, um, trustworthy publishers. There are a lot of other good publishers, Catholic Answers, EWTN, uh, good, good sources for good holy Catholic books. Uh, the sources I'm recommending are strictly traditional. And you can order anything from them um, and trust it thoroughly. Um, for good apologetics, I don't know a better uh, apostolate than Catholic Answers. Um, for converts into the church, for good apologetics on, um, on every uh, facet of the church. And the two books I recommend most highly for Protestants are, are the, um, the Spirit of Catholicism by Carl Adam and um, uh, Surprised by Truth, uh, by, uh, edited by Patrick Madrid, 11 Evangelicals that came in to the church. And you can get both those books on the Catholic Answers website as well on their sh in their shop. 
So there's the music for our um, second break, beloved. We'll come back and have a whole half hour to ourselves to take your calls, your texts, and your emails. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for December 14th. Today we celebrate Saint John of the Cross. Born in Spain in 1541, John was ordained a Carmelite priest at 25. He soon took up the work of reform, but the price was high. Misunderstanding, opposition, persecution. John was even imprisoned for a time by his own religious order. Its leaders opposed his determination to observe and promote the primitive Carmelite rule which emphasized austerity, poverty, and discipline. In prison, John came to know the cross acutely, to experience the dying of Jesus as he sat month after month in his dark, narrow cell with only his God as companion. But John also came to life in prison, spending hours uttering poetry. In the darkness of the dungeon, the mystic poet in John of the Cross flowered and was captured in his spiritual canticle. His prose masterpiece, Ascent to Mount Carmel, reveals his gifts as a psychologist theologian. Today's saint underlines the gospel paradox. The cross leads to resurrection, agony to ecstasy, darkness to light, abandonment to possession, denial of self to union with God. John of the Cross died in 1591 after a short but full life and was canonized in 1726. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live. Beloved, I am live, not an encore. <laughs> I'm so grateful when I can be live. Yesterday, uh, my internet was completely out. Um, we are, I mentioned before, we're in the country, and um, I, we've got one satellite on one of our two mobile homes, but when the weather's like this, it just doesn't get through. Um, i grateful for the rain, though, and I'll just... Uh, they're putting fiber optics in our area, so hopefully, not bef- before not too long, we'll have we'll have internet and we won't need to miss programs. So I'm so sorry, but we have a call today, and you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. I'll repeat the the uh, toll free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We'll be able to take your texts for another month. Um, and after that, it'll just be um, by your calls and your emails and Facebook comments as well. We have Lourdes from California on the line. Hi, Lourdes. 
Good morning, Mother Miriam. Um, Good morning, sweetheart. How are you? Sure. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you. Good. I'm glad that I find you now. For so long, I didn't know you had gone where you had gone, but now I found you. So. Oh, thank I'm you. glad, Lourdes. Yes, so glad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go okay, ahead. This honey. is my question. Yes, I have three siblings that left the church out of uh, ignorance. They didn't know the faith. They were married in the Catholic Church, but then they divorced. Mm-hmm. As Protestants, they uh, they remarried uh, outside the church with somebody else, with other mm-hmm. people. And then they divorced those husbands. They are now single, these, these siblings of mine. Um, if they left the church out of ignorance and think that it's okay to remarry somebody else, are they are they in danger of going to hell? And by the way, their spouses, the, the ones that they married in the Catholic Church are still alive. Because I have heard that at least two priests say, that if they leave the Catholic Church out of ignorance and don't know the faith, if they commit a mortal sin, they're not in danger of going to hell because they didn't know it was a mortal sin. That's my question. They committed a grave sin, not a mortal sin. If someone is in invincible ignorance, that is, they really are ignorant, meaning they don't know, and uh, they, they should know. I mean, they should, they're responsible to know. And whoever married them in the church uh, should have, whatever priest married them, uh, should have explained things to them. So um, I don't know the situation. That's why only God knows who is invincible, meaning who is less accountable, less guilty. A sin is a sin whether one knows it or not. It's just as grave. The issue is that it is not necessarily mortal unless it is, yes, grave, that the person knows it is grave and will separate him or her from God, and they are free of their own will they commit it. They're not drugged. There's not a gun against their back that they know it, they're aware of it, and they commit it anyway. So... Um, if your siblings who married in the church, if they didn't know that, something was really, really lacking in their marriage prep and in the priest who prepared them for marriage. Um, so again, God alone knows their hearts. Um, if they're divorced and they left the church, they are still married. Whether they understand it or not, they are still married. If they remarry... Um, uh, outside the church, yes, it's still as grave as marrying within the church because they're married and they're going to be committing adultery um, if they remarry in or outside the church because they're still married. So, Lourdes, what you need to do is tell all this to your siblings and say, you know, uh, I can't judge your heart. I don't know what you knew or didn't know, but you were married in the church Uh, By remarrying, whether you were outside or in the church, you have been living in an adulterous situation. Now you're divorced again. Um, You are separated from God and separated from the church. Um, I don't know you tell them. You don't know their accountability. But you do know that unless they repent, now that you are telling them, unless they repent and go to confession, they will not be in heaven And if they repent and go to confession, 
they need to remain celibate until or unless they receive an annulment from their marriage. Yes, they're they're already in their 70s. Most of it doesn't so matter the age. They, uh, if they're already in their 70s, it's more important that they attend to this very quickly. I understand that, mother, but um they don't they don't want to hear it because they're Protestants. They don't believe in what the Catholic Church teaches. Oh, they really left the church. Ah. They left the church 30 years ago, most of them. Okay, and they're Protestant. Well, I would, um, if they don't want to hear it, print out the catechism on it. Get the catechism, if you can, the catechism of Trent, and if not, the current catechism, and find out where it teaches that, because it does. Print it out for them and say, I know you're not Catholic. I know you don't believe it. You've gone 30 years. You're Protestant. Um, I know that, and I know you don't want to hear it from me. But I would not love you or God if I did not give you this teaching from the church in which you were baptized. Um, you, your accountability is before God but I want you to read it and know it's not my thinking or my opinion or anyone's opinion. It's the church that you were baptized in and married in. You can, you can uh, uh, turn from it, you, but this is very serious. And at your ages, I would beg you and plead with you to ask God what the truth is and to look into it. Because even the Protestant church does not believe in divorce. Some of them do, outs, uh, for reasons of adultery. Uh, some of them do, but not all. And so they don't understand annulment, uh, but they understand that God, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 19, I think, they're not to be divorced. So um, print it out, Lord's, uh, Lord, is, uh, send them, a, a loving a card through the mail and say, I beg you um, as a gift to me for this Christmas coming up, if you would read this, I know you don't believe it, but if you would read it, if you would uh, do me this greatest favor for my Christmas gift of going before God and asking him if it's true. And if it is, um, there's nothing I won't do to help you to be restored to the church. Okay, thank you so much for your uh, advice. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lourdes, God bless you. Don't be afraid, just do it in love. Uh, let them laugh at you and mock you rather than dismiss you. In other words, do it in a way that you're not warning, well, you are warning them, but you're begging them. Uh it, that's all they you're asking as your Christmas gift is for them to read this, what you're going to print out and put in the letter, um, and to go before God and ask Him to let you know sincerely uh, if it's true, and and you don't have nothing to worry about because God is the one who answers prayers, the God that you believe in. Okay, give it a try. Thank you. Yes. All right, sweetheart. Okay. Um, We have an email from somebody who writes anonymously and says, Good morning, Mother. I'm married to a man. Hold on a minute. (coughs) 
married to a man who's a lax Sunday Catholic. He hates how Catholic I've become and calls me a cult member and over the top. We were married in the Catholic Church and have been married 30 years. I explained to him I'm just aiming for heaven and following the commandments. Well, that's not a very good evangel- evangelistic message for your husband. My goodness, it's, it's a... Uh, um, it's not a loving message, and it's not going to help him. It, to him, it's going to sound very selfish. She continues, my question. I was away this weekend, and I assumed on Sunday he would take my son to a 5 p.m. mass. It sounds very familiar to a, an email we read recently. She says, I did not want to nag because he hates that, so I did not. I asked him upon my return Monday if they went to mass on Sunday. He said, no. My son is 15 years old. I asked him why he did not remind his dad, and he said he truly forgot. I think you've sent this email to me before, and I've answered it before. You've sent it in a little differently this time. Um, She writes, I explained to my son that he's old enough to ask his father for a ride and old enough to remember that Sunday is a holy day and the third commandment. Does he have to go to confession before he can receive communion? I told him to say an act of contrition at the chapel, and we would find a confession for him. Please pray for my husband to convert. Yes, he must go to confession before receiving communion the following Sunday. If he's missed Sunday, if he's Catholic, he's 15, he's old enough, and he needs to go to confession for having missed Mass on Sunday. But I'm, I'd be very surprised if this is not the same woman who wrote a very similar email previously, and I wrote to her and asked her why she was away on Sunday. Her husband's a lapsed Catholic. Her son is not very strong in the faith. Why was she away on Sunday? Not that there's not a reason, but I was curious. And she wrote back that one of her children was in a sports game and the other was at a college event, I think, something like that. And so she was torn how to get to both events. And I said, you may, your priorities are wrong. You chose that over Mass on Sunday. Your husband and your son are not going to think it's very serious. If you're going to go to a sports game on Sunday and another event on, that your children are participating on Sundays and they're not going to Mass, you're not showing the importance of Sunday. Your first duty is to be home with your husband and go to Mass with them. If you're going to be away on events like that on a Sunday, why should they care? Their faith is not very strong, and obviously um, they're going to see that yours is not either. Um, To live the faith, my dear one, you need to put priorities first and be home on Sunday, not away at sports events or other things. If your children want you at their events, they have to participate other than a Sunday. Or Sunday, which doesn't prevent you from getting to Mass with your family. That's the absolute first priority. Not with your children away at college and at sports, but with your husband and son at home. Um, We have a call from Anthony in Florida. Hello, Anthony. Good morning, Reverend Mother. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you, dear one. How about yourself? I'm great, great. Great to see you, Mother. Good, thank Um, you. I got a quick question for you, seeing Mm -hmm. you're in the uh, book mode. Um, Okay. (laughs) The four four volumes by um, Ann Catherick Emmerich. 
Mm-hmm. I've never, I don't recall you ever mentioning them. I might have missed the show, but what are your feelings on those volumes? Well, in my understanding, they've been approved. And um, uh, some of our sisters have been through them. I have not. We have the four volumes. Um, I, as far as I know, again, I haven't personally read them, but I've, I've uh, excerpts of them. I've heard from others. Um, and the church doesn't have a problem with them, so I don't. Um, again, I haven't read them, but we have some holy sisters who have and, and are fine with them. So as far as I know, as long as they're approved by the church, which they were not for a time, but they are now. And so I, I'm fine with them, but, but I haven't read them, Anthony. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mother. You're welcome, sweetheart. Um, There's the music, dear ones, for our last break. Uh, We'll have 10 minutes when we come back. Our lines are wide open. Still time for you to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483. You may text at that number yet um, or email at 1-877-511-5483. And just a last comment, Anthony, if you're listening, um, I really can't give you my personal thoughts because I haven't directly read those books. So, Lord Jesus, now came to heal our wounded and troubled hearts. We beg thee to heal the torments that cause anxiety in our hearts. We beg thee in a particular way to heal all who are the cause of sin. We beg thee to come into our lives and heal us of the psychological harms that struck us in our early years and from the injuries that they have caused throughout our lives. Lord Jesus, thou know our burdens. We lay them all at thy good shepherd's heart. We beseech thee by the merits of the great open wound in thy heart to heal the small wounds that are in ours. Heal the pain of our memories so that nothing that has happened to us will cause us to remain in pain and anguish, filled with anxiety. Heal, O Lord, all those wounds that have been the cause of all the evil that is rooted in our lives. We want to forgive all those who have offended us. Look to those inner sores that make us unable to forgive. Thou who came to forgive the afflicted of heart, please heal our own hearts. Heal, our Lord Jesus, those intimate wounds that cause us physical illness. We offer thee our hearts. Accept it, Lord. Purify them and give us the sentiments of thy divine heart. Help us to be meek and humble. Heal us, O Lord, from the pain caused by the death of our loved ones, which is oppressing us. Grant us to regain peace and joy in the knowledge that thou art the resurrection and the life. Make us an authentic witness to thy resurrection, thy victory over sin and death, thy living presence among us. Amen. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station of the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, I am 
mm-hmm. live, blessed be God. And um, we have 10 minutes. Uh, our lines are open. You're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. Toll free one 877 5483 or email at mother at We have an email from Kelly. And let me see now. Um, Kelly writes, Hello, Mother Miriam. I absolutely love listening to your show. You are a breath of fresh air to listen to and are so comforting during these challenging times. I thank you greatly for this. Thank you, Kelly. She writes, I have a question for you in regard to the recent division uh, that occurred with my in-laws regarding Proposal 3 in Michigan. And... um, Tragically, that passed. That was the proposal that would uh, cement uh, abortion into the Constitution as law. Um, My husband and I, she says, as well as our families live in Michigan. Both our families, including us, were baptized in the Catholic faith. My husband and I practice our faith, and thanks be to God, my entire immediate family practices and is very close-knit as well. Unfortunately, most of his family does not practice. Only his mom and one of his nieces attends Mass on Sundays. His brothers, our sisters-in-law, and the rest of their kids do not practice at all. Therefore, we felt compelled to reach out to them to educate all of them about Proposal 3 in Michigan prior to the election, as we were doing this with the general public, passing out flyers and informing people to turn it down. Anyhow, she writes, knowing his family all votes on the wrong side of the fence, including his mom, we felt compelled to inform and educate them how evil it truly is and the dangers involved with it. So my husband reached out to his family via email to inform them, sending all kinds of information and facts about the proposal with links included. He received awful negative, disrespectful responses from one of his brothers and one of his sisters-in-law. The other brother and sister-in-law did not respond at all. I told my husband I want to try one more time before the election to reach out myself only to his brothers as the sisters-in-law have a strong influence on their husband's responses. So I sent both of his brothers a message with another flyer highlighting the points of the proposal and how it would affect their kids and them, especially as parents. I tell you, Kelly, before I finish your email, the message you're giving is that what you believe, and they don't, in your Catholic faith is more important than them, more important than their salvation, more important than God's design for marriage because you're overriding your husband. If he's already reached out to them, regardless of their response, you should not try to do better as if he can't communicate well enough or you have more power or more intelligence or more sway. That's a wrong move. Kelly continues, I as well received a negative disrespectful response from the brother who did not respond to my husband the first time. I can only refer to their responses as utterly demonic. Well, I'm not going to conclude it's demonic. The whole issue of abortion, the destruction of life, destruction of the family is demonic. But they, it doesn't mean that 
that they're demonic. They just are ignorant. They don't know. This was to be expected, she says, but we attempted to save their souls from mortal sin. I don't know that you did that. You attempted to get facts into them, but that was not an attempt to save their souls. My question to you is, she writes, what in the world are we to do with the holidays coming upon us? My heart is tempting, telling me we need to avoid them altogether and those that support or promote evil. I can only pray for their hardened hearts to revert back to the church. But in the meantime, I do not want to be anywhere near them as they could lead us into sin and anger. Well, if they lead you into sin and anger, that your faith is not very strong, Kelly. If you have small children that you don't want them to affect, and the conversations that they bring up, not that you bring up, but that they bring up, will really hurt your children. That's one thing. But if you go as adults, why would they lead you into sin and anger? Um, She writes, in contrast, my mind tells me maybe my husband and I need to lay it all out on the table as they have been disrespectful toward him in particular for a long time since I have known him. But I think their attitudes would not change toward us. I can guarantee they won't. That's just tit for tat. That has nothing to do with faith or leading them to God. She writes, if anything, it would be very awkward. His mom's only response to all of this is, the elections will be over soon. Mom doesn't want to deal with it. She'd rather have peace between her children. I'm saying that. Blindly, she does not realize the rude evil and spiritual warfare taking place among angels and demons that will continue until there are hopefully conversions and reversions. Unfortunately, as you know, the proposal passed, and I fear they will greatly suffer the replications of their decisions. We both feel his family should best be avoided, even during the holidays, as this would lead us to anger and sin because they're so prideful, and we cannot break through pride. Only God can do this. Kelly, it seems that you and your husband are the prideful ones, dear one. If unbelievers who have not received the grace of God that you have are going to lead you to sin and pride, then your faith has not become virtue. It has not matured you in Christ. They are facts that you sincerely believe. But you need to be Catholic in every cell of your body. You need to be grateful every moment that you have the faith and not blame people who are blind and don't see. Kelly says, I told my husband we should not purchase Christmas gifts either for his other nieces and nephews that don't attend Mass because they are merely celebrating the secularization of Christmas. Kelly, it's the secularization of Christmas that drew me to God as a Jewish girl. As a Jewish girl, I, I hated it all. I could. Why would people, why would parents allow their children to worship that little baby in Macy's store window and, and on church lawns and homes? How could people worship a baby, a man? It was horrible to me. But somehow, the music and the lights and the gift giving and the decorations, it was the only time of year that made my heart think maybe there was a reason to live. Maybe there was meaning in life. Maybe there was purpose, and I couldn't handle the maybe because I couldn't find the answer. So I left New York for nine solid years at Christmas and went to the islands all by myself. And I came back, 
after Christmas was over and the lights of the Rockefeller Center tree were gone and the pretzels of pretzel stands in the, on the corners of Manhattan were, were cold and the lights were off and I can go on living uh, without having a reason to do so and not being particularly bothered by the sense of love in the air and togetherness that was Christmas, secularized Christmas. Respectfully, she writes, I want to know if I'm making the right decisions in the eyes of God, and I'm asking for your thoughts and suggestions on all of this, as I think during these times we need to place our souls first and pray for those who are lost. Kelly, you always put your souls first, and you have a great commission from God to be loving and kind to your family. You and your husband have the grace, the gift of God, of faith. It's a gift. It's not through your intelligence. It's a gift. And you have a great commission and calling from God to be utterly loving and compassionate with your family. And yes, buy every one of them Christmas gifts. You can get them books on the true Christmas story, loving books, uh, loving gifts that remind them that there is a God who loved them and who gave his life for them. We'll be back with you tomorrow, beloved, God willing. God bless you.